0: Welcome back to Compassion Revolution podcast, my friends. In this series, we're going to prepare you for the Compassion Revolution conference on the 24th and 25th of October. You can grab your ticket at compassionrevolution.care. Our theme in 2023 is making work beautiful. Join me and some of our extraordinary speakers. Hello, everyone. Today, I'm really, really excited because we have Dr. Sarah King joining us. I'll tell you a little bit about them. Sarah is a mother, a neuroscientist, a political and learning scientist, education philosopher, entrepreneur, public speaker, and certified yoga and mindfulness meditation instructor. They're currently a postdoctoral fellow in public health at the T. Denny Sanford Institute for Empathy and Compassion in Human Health, and Social Justice at the University of California, San Diego. And if you follow Sarah on Insta, you will know them as Mind Heart Collective, which is a contemplative tech company that she founded to develop AI integrated platforms, applications, and courses grounded in neuroscience. I am super, super excited to have this conversation with you, Sarah, welcome.
1: So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Mary, it is always a delight to be in your presence. You are effervescent, you are radiant, and your heart is always glowing.
0: Oh, you've made my day. That's beautiful. (laughs) You know, it's interesting how you and I came into each other's orbit. I'm going to catch listeners up around that because I first heard about you when I watched a presentation that you did at the othering and belonging conference at Berkeley so this is going back a number of years and that was how oh, I wow. felt yeah and then it was like who is this person Sarah King this is really interesting and then I started you know google stalking. And then I happened to be invited <laughs> to the Global Wellbeing Summit in Bilbao in Spain in 22. Yeah. And I saw your name was on the program and lo and behold there you are up on the big stage doing one of the plenary presentations and I was like just completely enthralled and I reached out to you just after that. And we missed each other in Bilbao. We didn't get to catch up, but we caught up on Zoom later and and then I just knew that you had to come and be part of Compassion Revolution Conference. And so for people Mm. who were at that conference, you were on the big screen joining us by Zoom, which was pretty incredible. Yes,
1: it really was. I mean, I think that was my first time Zooming into a conference that was happening um, in person. And I say in person as significance because I feel like I mean, how long was that event after lockdown?
0: Wow. Had that was the first time we were able to have our conference face to face. So it was only that year that yeah. things opened up, and it was still a little bit tricky getting people flying into the country. Yeah. So there was that sense of it. Right. Yeah.
1: Yes, absolutely. But what I found to be remarkable is that. You know, I've done a lot of my training in biomedical settings and in hospitals. And, you know, at times those can be places that come off emotionally as very sterile and, and clinical and maybe detached in certain ways from um, deeper complex emotions, at least the capacity to have them expressed in the spaces. And But I felt even showing up on Zoom, it was so palpable to me. Everyone's collective desire to engage and to embody the wisdom keepers, to embody, you know, relationally, what does it mean to be compassionate with one another in real time when we're all such complex people coming from incredibly complex and divergent backgrounds and desires and wishes. But yet, universally, what my experience was was that the compassion revolution space was a space of love but were really grounded in their determination to show love towards themselves and towards one another. And that was what felt very transformative to me and, and brought some real aha moments in my heart and mind around, you know, what community could feel like amongst medical practitioners of all different kinds of varieties. So thank you so much for inviting me.
0: Wow, that you know that is the feeling we get at our conference. You know, it's really it's this, and I, it's beautiful to hear that you could pick up that sense even over Zoom. It there was a yeah, there you had really captured the room, which is why we uh, all fell in love with you and said we're going to ask Sarah to get on a plane and she's going to come to. <laughs> she's going to come to 2023 (laughs) and so we're really excited that you know you're going to do that and be with us actually in person there's a really special conference this one coming up in October and you know just this idea of how do we make work beautiful like what does it take for us to do that and that uh, the possibility is real that we could do that and so you really fit right Mm -hmm. at home in that space us
1: i love i love that question how do we make work beautiful that is such a if i may mm. it is a lovingly subversive question because in my training i mean i've been in academia for i'm gonna do myself a little bit here but i've been in academia since i was a teenager so for well over 20 years now i would say that beauty is a lot of what draws me to science, to learning, to knowledge production, but nobody ever told me that.
0: Ah. Nobody ever
1: really sat me down and like gave me the permission to be bold and say that out loud. It was more like a secret that I was hiding in my heart, this fascination that I have with beauty and with love. And, you know, even for a long time, I felt like I had to hide my love of art
0: right because it wouldn't
1: be seen as rigorous enough you know like it 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 wouldn't be seen as objective enough and and i'm very pleased and excited that there is so much more conversation about the importance of beauty and awe as it relates to what it means to be human as we're in this you know endeavor the scientific endeavor to understand the the brain and the mind and, and society.
0: You know, one of the values at Compassion Revolution is around beauty. Because beauty is really, really important to us. How we make things beautiful, how we recognize what is beautiful, how we call into our lives what is beautiful. I'd love to hear a little bit more from you around art and beauty and m- most of the people listening might not even know some of the ways that you have introduced art into your work. Do you want to say a little bit about that?
1: I would absolutely love to. Yes. You know, for a very long time in, in graduate school at UCLA, it's University of California, Los Angeles. I was training as a as a mindfulness interventionist. So I was learning. You know, what does it mean to design spaces of intervention, which is another way of saying spaces of, of education and, and behavioral and emotional shift that are guided by the practice of mindfulness or paying attention to our moment to moment awareness without judgment, is the way that mindfulness is typically defined. And as I was working with uh, different community groups that came from marginalized backgrounds in the United States, I was getting a lot of feedback from them, people saying, you know, um, and this is similar to what they would say to me about yoga, too, actually, mm-hmm. they would say, this seems elitist, this seems inaccessible, like, do I have to go buy a pair of $150 yoga pants? Like, yeah. do, I, do I have to, you know, make my way all the way across to this, like, fancy part of town to get to a yoga studio? Like, how are we, who are involved in this day-to-day, like, struggle, <laughs> quite frankly, you Mm. know, for living and surviving. Like, what does this really have to do with us? It just seems too lofty. And then I realized at that point that art, I started digging into the research around neuroaesthetics um, just out of fun and just out of my own love of art. And also I was being pulled into some projects by some like very big name museums, like the Museum of Modern Art in New York, And, you know, they were really at the forefront of asking themselves this question. What responsibility do museum spaces have that are typically associated with beauty, right, to be trauma informed?
0: Ah, So good.
1: To be healing spaces, to be spaces that are conscious that people bring uh, very complex histories of pain and trauma with them to the museum. So then what does it mean to recognize that, to be conscious of that, and to hold that within the experience of of going to a museum? Even more radically, I think they were asking, you know, they were looking at the burnout that medical systems and mental health care systems have been experiencing, and they were saying, what can we do to partner and to help? So I think that that is how Art has become really central to my research because there's some really interesting neuroscience research that looks at when people are in the presence of abstract or figurative art, there's a certain stress hormone called cortisol. And we don't know why, but there is some research to suggest that this stress hormone, cortisol, is decreased Mm -hmm. just by the viewing of. This art, which in that it is abstract, can mean anything to anyone. Mm. And I think that that is extremely interesting to look at and say, oh, you know, to like ask ourselves as scientists, could it be that there's some aspect of the aesthetic experience of beauty or awe that is healing and that connects people more deeply with their bodies and their sense of self? as it's evolving and and if that's possible, then art, I think in many ways might be more accessible to populations that are experiencing trauma. Art just might be more accessible than certain mindfulness practices at a given time. So I think that it's really worthy to explore
0: in that wow. regard. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Opens up so much possibility. I'm going to take that on another little tangent, because one of the things that you mentioned there was the way that, you know, museums of, you know, like the Museum of Modern Art was responding to the trauma and the burnout that those working in hospitals and healthcare services and clinicians and administrators were experiencing. So we've been through a lot, right, over the last three years globally. Like it's been a powerful species moment that has the potential to i think has the potential to transform us or to send us into deeper sleep right i think it could go either way right but here we yeah, are with this yeah. opportunity to talk to you a neuroscientist what is actually happening what's happening to us when we're experiencing trauma like what is you know on the on the road into burnout what, what, what's actually mm-hmm. happening in our bodies and minds? Can you help us understand right. that? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'd love, I'd love to speak to that a little because, you know, I think that in the past there has maybe been a little bit of a misconception that what trauma is, is it's this like one time singular, epic, devastating event that maybe happens to like a, like a small pocket of people, like randomly here or there. Right. And that that trauma is then existing in the mind and that the mind is in the brain. And then we have to have these like very cognitive mm. approaches to how it is that we offer healing to trauma. And there are very successful therapies, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy and, and talk therapy and different cognitive modalities that can help people who have experienced traumatic events. But there's another way of looking at trauma. and one way to look at it is that the, uh, you know, your your body has um, a nervous system that is broken down into different components. And one of the components of your nervous system is your autonomic nervous system. And it sounds a little bit like automatic, right? And it's it's good that it sounds that way, because basically it is in charge of doing all of those things that you don't have to think about on a day-to-day basis. You're not sitting there thinking to yourself, oh, I got to breathe, I got to blink, I (laughs) got, I have to figure out how to move my body somehow, right? Like it is, it is taking charge of that for you. And within the scope of your autonomic nervous system, there is something called arousal, which is basically a word that describes um, in part your emotional state inside of your body. You know, people kind of say that emotions are kind of like a roller coaster and you can go in and out of so many different emotional Mm. states at a given time, right? You can be feeling happiness and joy or anxiety and fear or anger or listlessness, sleepiness, right? There's so many different states that you can go in and out of on a day-to-day basis. And your autonomic nervous system is also regulating the experience of that, right? Kind of like a signed wave. So you're, you're really meant to be going in and out of these experiences and to have a capacity to regulate your emotional experience. So self-regulation is kind of like, it's very deeply related to your stress response. So you're having a stressful day and you have these internal sensors and they are sensing for you, oh, my stress is starting to build up. I'm starting to get maybe a little anxious, a little anger, a little snappy. And then you know, you probably have different practices, different tools and methodologies that you use to kind of Bring yourself back from that point. You might ask yourself, "Oh, I might be a little hungry or a little mm-hmm. sleepy, a little tired, or whatever it is. I need to take a little rest in order to like bring myself back into a place of calm and centeredness and and really ultimately, back to a place where you can effectively socially engage with other people and stay connected. When a, a person or a group of people are experiencing stress that is outside of that normal threshold, right there's normal stress and then there's chronic stress and that is when the regulation of that autonomic nervous system it can start to get out of whack and we can start really staying in this place of like fight or flight constantly mm. right this place of like reactivity that feels very aggravated like it's like a a state of stress that feels like it won't go away right and that's the activation of the sympathetic branch of the nervous system, right? Or we can go into one of the second branches of the parasympathetic nervous system. And y'all probably heard about freeze or faint, right? And that can be like a really difficult place to feel stuck in because then people report feeling hopeless Mm -hmm. and helplessness and depression. And it can really be associated with a lot of different adverse mental health impacts so what i think and this is something of like a simplified explanation because obviously the science around this is very complex but in the situation of that pandemic right Mm -hmm. that was a situation of collective chronic stress right it was just so out of the ordinary of anything that we had ever experienced globally And part of the reason why it was so stressful was because of the social disconnection that was made necessary in order for us to protect one another. But we are social creatures with social brains and minds. And so when you strip this like necessary part of our humanity away from us, in such an abrupt way that is like out of our control, it's out of our choice. Then we could say that that was a situation of collective trauma.
0: Yes, yes, that
1: happened. And trauma. One of the things about trauma is that yes, there is like the the narrative that we might have about it in our minds, but trauma lives in the body. It really does. That's the body is what is is storing that information of trauma. And maybe some of you who are on this call right now might have read Dr. Bessel van der Kolk's book, The Body Keeps
0: the Score. Such a good book. Um, I recommend it.
1: I think it gives a lot of really beautiful um, context to what it is that I'm, that I'm describing right now. And so awareness based practices, compassion practices, mindfulness practices, the making of art and viewing of art, Coming together as a community and dancing and drumming and singing and sharing our stories are all these exceptionally powerful tools that we have to not only recognize, first, you have to recognize the situation for what it is, right? You got to kind of, my mentor Dan Siegel likes to say, name it to tame it.
0: Ah, I love it.
1: First, we have to name and recognize the fact that, as you said, what we have been through is something collective. It's a collective trauma, unlike anything that we've ever really experienced before. And then out of the acknowledgement and the recognition of that, we can then come to come together and say, okay, well then what are the tools that we have got in order to learn how to get into our bodies, reveal the stories of what happened to us? Because the stories matter. I mean, they really Really do stories are so much of the ties that bind us together universally as humans, and then as we are coming together to to be embodied and to witness one another in in our beauty and in our complexity, then we can really start to consciously turn towards compassion. This recognition of the suffering that we have been through, and I think compassion isn't just about recognizing suffering, but it is also about Seeing the beauty in our resilience Mm. and in our determination, and really consciously turning towards this question of what is it that binds us that really ties us together? What are the resources that we have that turn us towards an embodied experience of wholeness, right? And even, dare I say, liberation together? And What's really beautiful and empowering about that is that it's a very creative process and we get to decide what that is together.
0: That's, yeah, so powerful, so incredibly powerful. And that is why, you know, the idea that we can actually come together physically for this conference, Making Work Beautiful, makes all the difference uh, for all of us. Yes. Right? To be in a room and to kind of... Resonate with one another in that physical way is really important. Yes.
1: You? Yes, that word resonate. One of the terms that I like to talk about in my research, because I just mentioned I was uh, giving a very high level overview of certain nervous system functions. We know we all have individual nervous systems, but the way I like to say it is when two or more people come together, just like you and I together mm. here right now, Mary. We share something. We are sharing a collective nervous system, and so then, when you have a whole collective of people coming together, like at a conference, then suddenly that conference becomes a collective nervous system, right? You could almost view the co- the conference as this living organism of beings who have come together. And one of the things that I think is the most important in asking a question: Okay, so we're this collective nervous system. Well, then, what are we sharing? What's being shared together as a part of this collectivity? And what's so powerful about your conference is that it's super clear, it's in the title. Mm. There's an intention, and the intention is centered around compassion. Yes. And I think that that is something really powerful because if I think if we kind of take a step back and we ask ourselves, okay, how many places do I go to in my life where I am super clear that the space that is holding me the intention of the space that is holding me is grounded in compassion. I think if we think about it
0: not many not that many. And so and we're really conscious of that in this invitation that it's a we feel like it's collectively it's a opportunity nested in generosity as well the generosity Mm. of all of us to be together and to set our intention uh, in coming together and then to be fully open to the possibility, which I think is real and rich and ripe, the possibility that we will actually create something. And we don't know what that thing is that we're going to create because that is what happens when we come together as a collective. With our right. hearts and minds set on that outcome,
1: but that's so beautiful. What a beautiful unknown to be approaching together. And you know, another thing about chronic stress is that people who are experiencing chronic stress, oftentimes, what is happening? Not there are there are certain changes that are happening at the emotional level, at the psychological level, but it can also produce changes in the structure and function of the brain right because the brain is plastic you might have heard this term neuroplasticity so your brain is constantly shifting in its shape and its structure and in its function according to the experiences that you have throughout your life and that's actually a really beautiful thing because when we are coming together in these spaces that are all about exploring interconnection exploring belonging, right, at the intersection of all of the complex ways that we're different, then I think that you are entering into a space that could potentially produce the beginnings of shifts in the function of the brain and the nervous system.
0: And what is powerful about that is who we are when we arrive is not who we are when we leave. Exactly. It's really exactly. as simple as that isn't
1: it? Yeah. It really is. It really is and and you know I you know I think that um a lot of us by necessity we we live our day-to-day lives and it's like we have our home ecosystem and kind of the way that that works maybe like our 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 habits of being and of mind when we're in that space and then we have our work ecosystem and we have our habits of mind and being in relationship there. And then maybe you're I don't know running errands, or you're going to church, or maybe you have some other places that you're going to with regularity. But each of us kind of has our zones that we're going to. And we can expect a certain amount of predictability. Mm-hmm. So our minds and our brains are being structured around what we expect from those spaces in many ways. So another thing that is beautiful about going to conferences such as what you're offering, is that I guarantee you that so much of the experience is going to be
0: unexpected. Yes, you're right. And
1: that those that's that's part of the reason why I think people love going to museums or they love going on vacation or they just, you know, love going to another city. Right. It's like when we are able to immerse ourselves in an environment that introduces us to things that are unexpected, but beautiful. And, and we feel safe. And we feel we feel safe. We feel that we have choice. We mm-hmm. know that we are seen. We are heard. We are valued. We are being listened to. We are being reflected, right? So it is trauma-informed.
0: Yeah. These are all the things yeah. that we're meaning. Yeah.
1: Then all of a sudden we're entering into an ecosystem where – Perhaps play and curiosity and awe and beauty and connection can emerge. And oh my goodness, like what an opportunity.
0: What a beautiful description of exactly what it is that we're preparing for people, Sarah. Uh,
1: Mm. Even,
0: (laughs) you know, even the team, we talk about what are the ways that we can delight people and uh, what are the beautiful surprises and you know we think about that from the food that we eat the the how we bring the natural world in the beautiful you know native flowers that will be in the room the performer that will be singing for us this incredible human called mama alto who is just an incredible trans woman with a voice that is so powerful. Mama is currently rehearsing in New York for this incredible musical called Bark of Millions that will premiere at the Opera House. Wow! Um, So even when we think about who will sing, it's like, what is the richness of that and how do we bring that into the program and how does it speak to, you know, the powerful um, neuroscience that Sarara's brought and how does it speak to all the things that we're going to learn from Selma, you know, around post-traumatic growth and and just oh, it's, oh, anyway, I, I'm super excited and even yeah. having this little moment today to hear from you sarah i just know because i because you are so uh i feel so connected to our purpose and our intention that i just know that you're going to bring wisdom and so much beauty as well and so i'm just really grateful that Hmm. you're coming and i look forward to
1: it oh my goodness mary i can i can barely describe with words how excited i am that i will be in your physical presence that i will be and it will be my first time in
0: australia oh wow so <laughs> oh wow we're gonna we're gonna show it i to know you.
1: i know it's just really for this california girl i'm just like wow are you gonna love it the adventure and i'm also just like so um grateful when i think of the human hearts that are going to be present for that experience and all of the wisdom and the love and the joy and the learnings that they will be carrying with them it's just such a gift that you're giving me so
0: yeah thank you my
1: gratitude in advance
0: and likewise sarah it's been beautiful speaking with you and we will see you in uh, melbourne on the 24th and 25th of October. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Bye for now.